You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Tuesday, September the 21st. Lovely, beautiful, bright morning here in TW11. It's lovely to be home and lovely to be looking forward to some excellent sport at the end of this week at Newmarket for the Cambridgeshire meeting. And then a week on from there, as we've been discussing, it is, of course, Europe's premier middle distance all-age race, the Qatar Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. We've talked quite a bit about Japanese horses in this race, Deep Bond, the winner of the Prix Niel, and particularly Chronogenesis. The significance of this race to Japan is, is so deep. And you'll remember those images a few years ago of Orfevre being cut down in the shadow of the post by a Solomir and the impending ecstasy turning to anguish on the faces of the huge Japanese contingent that were watching at Paris-Lanchon that day. Well, Chronogenesis and Deep Bond, certainly the former, has the calibre and the credentials, as our Japanese correspondent Nihiro Goda has told us, to go really close in this race, and the form book backs that up, and she'll be ridden by Asheen Murphy. I've been talking to the dual champion jockey about his art ride and about how credentials she might be to give this racing-obsessed nation a victory in one of the world's most famous horse races. Yes, um, she obviously ran very well uh, in Dubai when she was second to Mishrif and uh, her jockey, unfortunately, had an injury shortly after that race and the ARC was on the agenda and they got in touch with me, I'd, I'd imagine, around May time. Um, and asked would I like to ride her and you know after having seen her in Japan and, and in Dubai uh, I thought she had the perfect credentials really uh, to to go for an arc tilt and um, and it's been the plan for a while so uh, it's all very exciting. It is really exciting um, you have a lot of experience of top level racing in Japan as well so you've got a bit of context and we might not have that context as to as to where she might fit. Yes, she's the best middle distance horse in Japan. Uh, she's been terrific over the last two seasons and over a variety of distances. Um, she has a lot of pace, which I think is a big help. She's going to put herself in a good spot. But we are talking about uh, a race that is st- so super strong. I, I don't remember uh, an act being as strong as this. You normally talk about one or two super as the enables etc but uh, when you have AR, Hurricane Lane um, you know whatever Aiden runs St. Mark's Basilica uh, it's it's a it's a race that's going to take some winning but to be is fantastic and uh, she goes there with a live chance What do you think her ideal uh, ideal setup is? I think should back kind of behind the leaders I'd imagine Hurricane Lane and Ade are knowing that they both stay well uh, will be ridden positively and uh, be interesting to see which one William Buick actually chooses um, and I mean when she's in a rhythm she travels around she she doesn't pull and uh, she has a good change of gear you know she kind of has all the right attributes with a good tempt to for a race like that and ground wise uh, she's not dependent she's one on firm and she's one on very soft ground, although you can never equate you know, Japanese slow ground to, to what she's likely to encounter at Longchamp. But um, but I'm going to have a sit on her, Nick, uh, on I think the 28th or 29th. She's in Pascal Barry's stable this week. 
and uh, I'm going to have a little canter round on her that morning and it'd be nice to know her before the race. You, you mentioned the choice that faces William Buick. He's going to have to make it, I think, within the next 24 hours. Who would you choose? I'd choose, yeah. Uh, I thought the King George was very, very strong form and uh, he pulled very hard for the first two furlongs, but then he relaxed super and um, I think you know, the horse as a physical uh, I had a can't around on him before the derby if you remember you know as a type he was always going to improve with ancient time and uh, I don't think I'm the best of him yet I, I think um, I think he deserves to you know go into the race as favourite I know Tanawa um, was slightly unlucky the Irish champion um, I, I, he'd be my choice if, if you if you could pick a horse out of the whole field uh, how are you holding up with this uh, with this jockeys championship battle are you are you still feeling fit and full of energy uh, no, I mean, it, uh, it's quite a long, drawn-out process, and uh, I know some people are fair running from, you know, the traditional end of March to uh, November Handicap Day, but I can promise you, Guinea's weekend to Champion Day at Ascot's plenty long enough, and, um, and uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been hard work. Um, I've been lucky that the stables I've been riding for have been flying all year, and hopefully they continue to fly uh, for the next four weeks or so. You're not telling me you're running out of gas just yet, Ashin, are you? No, don't worry. I've got I've got full books of rides every day, and um, you know my my agent and everyone's been doing a super job. I just uh, I just need to keep riding winners. And just back on the point of the arc and, and chronogenesis, where we began this conversation, just given your associations with Japan, given how much you enjoyed riding there, and and given the standing of this race and what it means to that country, uh, have you have you taken all that in and its potential significance? <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't, Nick. I, I I know I'm fully aware, but I'm afraid to think. Oh, you know, if she won, how great it would be! It would be unbelievable and beyond my wildest dreams. And I would make you know a nation that uh, that their their biggest sport is horse racing. I'd make them very very happy. Um, and all the come true but uh, but I know it's going to be a tough task and you know I've got the right horse um, but it, it's one of the race of the ages uh, how strong is the field um, it's incredible mouthwater probably you know there's going to be eight ten of the horses in the race that could win and um, and it's rare you go into top level group one with with that sort of setup normally it's you know two or three um, so it's um, it's one to savour Asheen Murphy there, who will ride Chronogenesis in the Qatar Breed. Like Trump, he's got loads of good rides this weekend as well. Lots of good two-year-olds out for Andrew Balding and Qatar Racing. Jane Manganati in Racing TV broadcaster is with me. Jane, that was certainly interesting. It's becoming a very colourful arc picture. From what you've talked to me about over the last month or so, um, I'm going to intuit that you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you still think Tanawa is the, uh, the clubhouse leader. She is. Um, I would love an update on Adair. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I think everybody in racing is. And I'd love to see just or hear a little bit of confidence behind him having had that setback. We're a little bit in no man's land with Adair. Hurricane Lane, the other three-year-old from Godolphin. Um, I have huge respect for him. I have huge respect for Deep Bond after what we saw the last day and then translating that across to Corona Genesis. Um, I'm not willing to give up on Snowfall yet. That dream for me is still alive, albeit it's not as strong as it was before she got beaten in the Vermeil. Uh, Love, I just don't know if she's going to have her ground and then she was beaten on Irish Champions Weekend as well. So yeah, all, all 
my arrows are leading towards Tarnawa, but it is notable and it has been a theme of this season that France don't seem to have a prime candidate for their best race. Well, the fact that they're now talking about diverting Rabia, who was a leading fancy for last year's arc and looked in prime form when she won last time, the fact they're thinking of diverting her to the Prix de Royale year probably tells its own story, doesn't it? I think that's a decision where you're thinking, I could be placed in an arc or I could win on the Saturday in the Royal. And uh, I'm not, I, I think it's a true decision. I think that's probably the best position for that filly and the, the best race for that filly to go to. Um, obviously, Chad will have been in the news already this week uh, with major news and they're trying to make the best decisions possible. And for that filly, Rabia, rather than try and be placed in an arc, she could win a group one on the Saturday. Uh, Jane, just a point on, on Tanawa. I mean, it's not a foregone conclusion who rides this mare. Um, she was Christophe Soumillon's ride, sort of, and then she became Colin Keane's ride uh, in America and Colin rode her in the Irish Champion Stakes the other day. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which way this goes. Um, you know, Christophe is the Igas man. Uh, he has been for many, many years. He's ridden all his best horses uh, in recent decades and I think look he's unbeaten on the filly so it's a race in France nobody knows Longchamp better than Monsieur Soumillon Colin Keane for me is one of the best jockeys in the world but Christophe Soumillon is the French supremo and I suppose that we have to go back to last year and remember that Colin Keane got the ride by chance because Christophe Soumillon got Covid Yes, it was a fortuitous uh, turn of events for Colin and it has worked out very well. But uh, ultimately, the Aga is the boss when it comes to his horses and Colin will have many other days and those days may even start coming this weekend at Newmarket. Yes, this weekend at Newmarket. We've got the Cheveley Park, the Middle Park, the Joel Stakes, the Royal Lodge, the Cambridgeshire. So much to look forward to. Um, and in Sacred Bridge, if you listen to this podcast from a few weeks ago, Joe Lyons has a pretty smart filly, but one that has rather surprised him by her progression. Yes, it's so often we hear it so often that the homework hasn't, um, you know, has surprised them when they go to the track, and that's what I often like to hear. Joe Lyons has had an extremely good year. We just saw yesterday's Sacred Answer in the colours of Judmont win the Blenheim Stakes. And um, Sacred Bridge has looked a little bit wow, a little bit special. Uh, the two rows this year have been, for me, just n- not taking my breath away. I was very impressed with Native Trail and the National Stakes and Discoveries in the Moyglare, but Sacred Bridge in the Round Tower was had a bit of a wow factor. And I'm glad to see that Ger Lyons is travelling her to the UK. He doesn't take too many horses to the UK, unless we forget in 2011, he had his first top-level success as a trainer with Lightning Pearl with a certain Johnny Murta board. So a decade on, he's going back to conquer the Cheveley Park with Colin Keane, who will be chasing his first win at the top level in the UK. Uh, Jane, crimes and misdemeanours this week. Uh, Liam O'Brien, Irish trainer, has been fined €2,000. Ambrose McCurtain, the jockey, two-week ban. And no memory, the horse banned for 42 days under the non-triers rule at Listowel a couple of days ago. I didn't see this. Trainer's not very happy. You did. What did you make of it? Yeah, I was uh, very surprised by when I heard the outcome. I didn't think there was any issue. I watched back the race because um, I, I questioned myself. And I do not see why No Memory got um, sanctioned by the stewards. I think it's very surprising. French Maid was a winner, rated 134, say goodbye second. No Memory was a four and a quarter length distance third. And 
I, 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 I can't justify it. I would, if I was William O'Brien and connections, I would absolutely appeal. Um, I, I think it's, it's tremendously surprising. It was a nine runner race. She finished a well beaten third and 42 days, two grand for the trainer, two weeks for the rider. I don't think it's justified. Okay, and trainer David Flood, who's had more than his fair share of brushes with the authorities down the years, has had another one in the UK because he's been fined £1,000 for uh, calling the British Horse Racing Authority vet a clown. Mm, don't do that. Bad idea. Yeah, I mean, that. to be honest, that's a pretty clear-cut job, isn't it? Yeah, you don't... I, I, I don't think anybody should talk to anybody else as if they're less than human, so... Again, don't do that. Well, I mean, even if you think the, the British Horse Racing Authority official is a is a clown, best you just bite your lip and say nothing because you are licensed by the British Horse Racing Authority. Essentially, they have, a, they have a job to do, and whether you agree with it or not, you don't go around slandering them. Okay, what did you make a National Racehorse Week in, in the UK? I think it's interesting, and I think it's something we... Uh, it's definitely positive. Uh, anything that opens the doors to the wider public and showcases the sport behind the scenes and shows how horses are looked after and how they develop and how they progress and train and I think it's something in Ireland we could maybe develop on. I know we have uh, an open week for an open weekend at the Curra and various other yards in Ireland but if we could develop that into something like you have in the UK it's definitely of benefit to everyone in the sport. Well, I'm now pleased to tell you about a very significant initiative that launched over the weekend. It's the Irish Racehorse Retirement Fund, and Therese Murphy is with me to tell us a little bit more. Therese, just tell me how this this has come about and why. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having us on. Um, We just kind of, there was a group of us here, and we kind of felt that, you know, it was really time that we put a charity together to help support that transition process from you know horses that have been on the track or gone through training and didn't maybe you know make the cut um to help them with the transition process of retraining for for another job and a life after racing Uh, would this be broadly similar similar to to retraining of racehorses here in here in great britain that we've seen very effective for a number of years yeah, I suppose. Look, we've we've certainly pulled a lot of, I suppose, what what word would you use, initiative from from that, and you know we know it works well there. Um, we do have, you know, I suppose a, a charity that set up here last year called Trioella, which actually um, puts guys in touch with retrainers. But we just felt there was a gap before they got there. So the actual, you know, supporting the retrainers that want to train and retrain these horses for a new discipline. Um, so to be able to support them with that transition process using, you know, both education and financial funding. So, you know, at the minute, I suppose it's it's very much dependent on how much the industry gets in behind it. Um, we are solely relying on, on funding um, and you know it, it's very much a case that uh, we feel the industry needs the Irish Racehorse Retirement Fund but just as equally the Irish Racehorse Retirement Fund needs the industry so it's success and how much we can do will depend on how much everybody gets in behind it you know. And what feedback have you had so far from from Horse Racing Ireland? Are, are they are they backing you? Are they have they made any pledges to back you? Um, so far, not yet. But I mean, we're, we're hoping that um, 
that will be the case. Um, look, we, we're going to do everything we can to work with HRI. Um, you know, it's important that we all row the, the same way, I suppose. Um, but as of yet, we haven't had any commitment, but we hope that will change. And would you favour a system, and this has been talked about in, in, in Britain a little bit, would you favour some sort of um, levy on uh, your administration fees that goes to a, a, a body like yours? If, if you know, you have a horse in training, you, you've got a, you know, a cent in every euro or whatever goes to, goes to, 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 to a, a charity like yours to, to, to enable these horses to have a, a good life when they leave horse racing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, that that would be the the kind of you know the most straightforward way to do it. Um, we have suggested it, but nothing has been confirmed yet at the minute. How we're funding it is we're obviously solely relying on donations, and we've also added in a register your thoroughbred uh, on our website, where an owner can register the thoroughbred with us, and then you know should that horse ever need our support. At, at a stage where it's finished we will be able to do so but uh, you know it makes sense that it would go through that kind of system where a levy be put on say either winnings or entries or whatever the case may be you know and that would kind of give the charity as well projections you know and you would kind of know where you are um so hopefully down the road that's what we're certainly hoping for um but the the reception and the feedback we've got has has been really really positive you know um we've got a great board in place and you know great great guys involved so look we're, we're hoping we'll just keep going from strength to strength now Therese Murphy there and best of luck to Therese with what is a very important initiative for Irish racing and aftercare it is Tuesday, so we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their global stallion app and their stallion book. Delighted to welcome Ted Vout to the show today. Uh, Ted, who is the founder of Vout Sales, has previously been manager for Adstock Manor, Littleton Stud, Fairwinter Farm, but so much more than that. He's been on the TBA Council, the Code of Practice Committee. He's been a National Stud Bloodstock Advisor. In short, there's very little he hasn't done. Recently, he's enjoyed huge success in his current role as racing advisor to Prince Faisal including Ocavango, Bellado, and most prominently and most famously, uh, Mishrif, the son of make-believe, a horse that he himself bought as a foal. So it's all come full circle uh, for Ted Vout. But Ted, where did it all begin and who was the most important early influence on you? Well, to begin with, uh, rather strangely, uh, a, a journalist called Ivor Herbert was... Uh, my first introduction to the thoroughbred world. He lived in West Wickham, and uh, I lived just outside of, uh, of Iwickham, and uh, I used to cycle to his and, and uh, muck out his, his uh, polo ponies and ex-National Hunt horses. Um, and uh, he wrote an article about uh, James Delhook and Guy Harwood uh, when I first went to to, to go and work for him at sort of 16 years old as a, as a weekend job and he suggested that um, uh, that when I finished my education I should go and uh, sit down and, and speak with them so I, I off I trundled to see James Delhook at Adstock and um, and uh, the rest 
rest is history. I've been lucky enough to interview James Delahook on, on this podcast, and he's a, a very interesting and charismatic, engaging figure. What set him apart in the bloodstock world in those days, in the sort of early to mid-80s? Well, he was young, and uh, and they were, you know, they they were creative. Uh, they they set trends. Uh, him and him and Guy. Um, <clears throat> he drove a Pickford Capri, which also pretty much impressed me at the time when I was eighteen or nineteen years old, and and he asked me to drive it down to. Uh, 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 wantage uh, where they were fitting, setting up the, the stud that they've recently sold, um, but yeah, he he was he never really explained too too much. It was uh, you followed by example, and uh, uh, I think I learned the most uh, from him about farming. Um, you know, he was a farmer's uh, son, and his parents died quite young, and he. He had the responsibility of outstock very early. While I was there, time charter was a yearling, um, and uh, you know, and later on, I managed to manage the farm for Fair Winter for Robert Barnett, which I'd helped him build um, on land that James had bought just outside uh, Milton Keynes. And uh, I'd say that's the most important lesson I learned from from James. What you talk about Fair Winter and, and working for the Barnets, th- this was an amazing family, as you say, the family of Time Charter. How much responsibility goes with nurturing a blooming bloodline like that? There's a lot of responsibility, and uh, as we all know, thoroughbreds change very fast. Uh, uh, there's always something happening, something ill, something cut, or something flourishing uh, and, and, and being born and. Uh, you know, going into training, and all of it needs a lot of attention to detail. And uh, I think the key thing with most of the people I've worked with that have been successful, uh, it has been copious amounts of telephone calls. Um, you know, Prince Faisal I talk to 10 times a day, possibly somewhere between five and 10. Robert Barnett was the same, even to the point where he had a time management person come in um, at one point, and and they highlighted the fact that he spent so much time on the telephone with me uh, 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 compared to the grain business in Belfast. So um, we tried to cut it down, but it never really worked as, uh, as well. Ted, you spent significant periods of time in Australia, America. How have those experiences shaped what you do now? You know, I think over the years, I, I look back to America and they're, you know, they're pioneering in what they do, you know, and the ideas are great, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't, you know, they, uh, and, uh, and it's a matter of just picking what works for you and your farm. I work for Lee Eaton uh, Consigning, which is where I pretty much came up with the idea, <coughs> idea to come back to England and uh, and start consigning. Uh, when I did, it it, uh, it sort of enabled me to, to gain the money to further progress and buy a stud farm and then start raising them myself so it's been a long slow process over 40 years and Ted was there a moment in your in your early days or perhaps a little later as a consigner where you thought you you could do this you 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 had not the game cracked but at least you had the confidence to be able to to operate effectively and successfully yeah I mean when we when I came back to England and and sort of hung hung the sign up outside the door at Tavistall's and and said, right, I'm now a consigner. I mean, Tony Morris did an article in uh, The Sporting Life at the time and and, 
you know, within one year, we had 100, 100 yearlings we were selling. You know, Robert Sangster was one of the first few that threw the door, and he sent me a golden fleece uh, at a sober and a Be My Guest filly. Um, one of them made almost half a million, and the other made uh, 250,000, and that was really the beginning of it. And, uh, you know, cracking it, I don't think... I don't think you ever feel like you've cracked it. I know when, you know, I was asked to start buying some horses and I was I was sort of floundering a bit when Prince Faisal had said, you know, you're cracky, you've seen, you've seen enough of them. And, he's, and he was right, actually. You know, I didn't have the confidence of buying them when I started. And But, you know, as he pointed out, you know, as a consigner, you get to see... You get to see everything. I mean, you and and what's more, you're also tinkering with them to go get them to the sale so that they look in their pristine condition, um, and so you know every single bit about them, probably more than than just the person um, who's a bloodstock agent doesn't have the the actual grounding of, of developing these horses up through the various stages to get to the sales. So if that's helped to train your eye, Ted, I mean, are you pretty clear now on, on what you're looking for in a horse, in, in what you like? You know, that's changed. You know, Guy and James used to have this lovely sloping walk that they looked for. And, uh, you know, the problem with, with that was that they did get the two of glory moves and the yellow manor moves and, the, uh, you know, and the, all those good horses that, that they had over the, over the years. But you also run... The risk that, that they're such a sort of slopey walker that they they stay a mile and three quarters and almost uh, you know will win you a bumper at, Ch- at, Ch- at Cheltenham, which um, you know probably wasn't wasn't the ideal when when they were looking at the yearlings to start with. But and I think people now look more of a model. You know they they look like a balanced square um, with a strong hind leg, a, a really strong second thigh. I've definitely gone from copying James and Guy and, and thinking that the, the walk was the be-all. Um, and, you know, when I bought Make Believe, for instance, he wasn't a tremendously good walker as a foal. Uh, he ended up winning the Guineas, uh, French Guineas and the, and the Pre-Foray. So uh, I think you change. You definitely change. Um, and I think racing changes. It becomes, you know, it's a little bit more mile-orientated and sprinter-orientated than it, than it was. And... Uh, and buying yearlings to win classics is quite a hard job. But you, you have had classic winners through your hands, Milan and Authorised. Tell me about Authorised in particular. That's quite an interesting story. It was the very first foal to come onto the farm bought by Tony Nurses. Um, you know, I couldn't understand why Demi didn't buy him at the sales because uh, to me he was... This is this is Demi O'Byrne who, who was buying for, for Coolmore, yeah? Yes, yeah. And we went to the sales, and for whatever reason, he slipped through the cracks a little bit, um, uh, and he was brought back by them, um, by Peter Chappelheim. When when Salah came to the farm to see him the first time, sort of in the spring of, uh, of, of his yearling year, and, and he's, uh, he, he, he came in and he, uh, he asked me what I thought, and I said, well, I think you're going to win the derby, sir. And... Um, and Miraculously, he did. I mean, Milan was a similar horse that I got from Luca Kamani, and I always loved him. And I got that wrong, but you know, he won the St. Ledger instead of the Derby. But I thought he was as close to a Derby winner as I'd sold up to that point. But um, you know, selling these horses and and them turning out good it definitely gives you sort of memory memory recognition, and 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 you start to look for or have more confidence in in choosing those sorts of horses. Um, 
And, and just just finally, Ted, you mentioned make believe there, and, and it's come full circle because he's the sire of, of Mishrif, and you've been looking after Prince Faisal's bloodstock for a long time. And this is, I think, sixth generation of Prince Faisal's family. In terms of your career achievements, how much satisfaction has Mishrif given you? Well, tremendous, because, um, you know, we've gone from consigning to, to purchasing. Um, you know, someone said to me the other day that, you, you seem to reinvent yourself, um, and over the years, that's sort of grown from just consigning to to running the farm. And the farm's very important to me. You know, I've um, and managing the farm, it, I get I get a lot of pleasure. Uh, uh, it, it, it's not a very easy thing to do uh, to day to day run 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 a farm, and it's a culmination of years 20 years of, of surrounding yourself with the best professionals the best vets the best uh, blacksmiths uh, people that you work with on on a day-to-day basis your staff your your head head lad um and all of it is attention to detail and um mishrif is a culmination of of of, as you said, you know, buying a, buying a foal who comes back to the farm and we raise and, and off he goes to Andre and, and wins a classic and, and then uh, Prince Faisal then sends him, uh, sells him and, and, and he stands at stud and, and he goes on and, and breeds with his small broodmare band of 10 that we look after. Um, uh, 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 you know, has a horse like Mishrif, which is a horse of a lifetime, which I'll probably never ever come across again. But, you know, you, you remember every bit of his career uh, uh, on the farm. You know, we've been lucky this year. We've had six stakes winners off of the land. I've even uh, bred my daughter a, a listed winner called Atlas Bay. Um, and, and the prince has obviously got the, got the, 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 the most of them in noticeable grace and Mishrif and Believe in Love, um, whom he sold as a yearling. But... Um, but we, we do TikTok famous as a horse that we've got that was listed place in, in America the other day by Bellardo that we bred uh, ourselves. And um, and then, of course, our consignment this year, we've got uh, Velocidad's uh, sister that, um, that um, we're selling, who won a group two for Joseph O'Brien that we sold incredibly cheaply last year, but won at 25,000. But... Um, is now owned by the Magna team, and, uh, and we're looking forward to her run in the in the Chibley Park and to update our pedigree. Um, well, Ted, it's been uh, it's been a, an absolute education uh, listening to you. So thanks so much for talking to me, and we will uh, we will catch up again soon. And best of luck with what's going to be a very busy autumn. Thank you very much, Nick. That's really thanks for having me on. Ted Vout there, and Jane is still with me. And Jane, you are at Tattersalls today for a rather unusual sale. Just tell us why. Yes, Jean and her mother Mary are making their debut uh, voyage to Park Paddocks and I walked into the complex yesterday and got lost multiple times um, because the, the yard layout is not like we have in Ireland. And look, it's it's an Irish sale, Tarsal's Irish sale, which is, of course, in Newmarket for COVID reasons. It was a very difficult decision for um, for Tarsal's to make. I remember the time they were making the decision uh, Goths had decided to keep the Orby in Ireland and it was a big risk at the time because we did not know how things would stand but this is a Tarsal Ireland sale there have been good horses come out of this in the past just this year we've seen Go Bears Go who was bought for 50 grand last year from Alela Stud he's gone on to do great things this year and Sonny Boy Liston a few years ago was picked up for 26 grand by Johnny Murta and I think his career tally 
is something like 650,000 sterling. So I hope there is a sunny boy listing or a Go Bears Go amongst Par Paddocks today. And I'm looking forward to seeing my first sale in the UK. And Jane, have you got a winner for me today? I am. I'm going to Listol. Anybody who's interested in Listol, very much looking forward to the Kerry National tomorrow. But today is a flat card, and there is a listed race on the card at 4.37, the Edmund and Josie Whelan listed stakes. And Rockaroma was beaten last time at Tipperary by Paddy Toomey's um, Pearls Galore, who was second in the Matron. And I think that form might be good enough to land the 4.37 at Listol. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. That was Tuesday, September the 21st. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.